to turn to um, 1 Samuel chapter 15. Continue in, in the book of Samuel. Father, I just pray this morning, Lord, that uh, you will make my words clear, Lord. Um, Lord, that what you want to say, Lord, it will be clear, Lord, and there will be no ambiguity. Um, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, first, first Samuel chapter 15, um, starting in verse 1. <clears throat> Samuel also said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them. But kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telem, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned his back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to the Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for himself, and he's gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Saul and said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandments of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is this bleating of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They've brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, Be quiet. And I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, speak on. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. So Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Then Saul said to Samuel, <coughs> I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandments of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you 
for you have rejected the word of the Lord. Oh, sorry, sorry, verse 25, it says, Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the edge of his robe and it tore. So Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent, for he is not a man that he should relent. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now, please, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul worshipped the Lord. Then Samuel said, Bring Agag, king of the Amalekites, here to me. So Agag came to him cautiously. And Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. But Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so your mother shall be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house at Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Lord, we thank you for your word. We just really pray it will speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name. So today's message is essentially summed up in one word, and that is compromise. The story of Saul, you could argue, throughout his, his um, kingship, his reign over Israel, was marked by compromise and never more so than in this passage here. But obviously compromise is not something that is unique to, to Saul. It is something um, that comes to us all at some stage. And so it, it's, a, it's a universal theme. And Paul writes <clears throat> that the stories in the Old Testament are very much um, for our prophet, that we can learn from them. They're not just historical stories about Israel, um, but they're stories for today. And this is very true of, of this story um, of Saul and, and the Amalekites. One interesting aspect about this passage is there are, there are different um, methods of storytelling that, that um, were, were used throughout the Old Testament. And one, one method in particular was um, the use of the re repetition of the same word or a similar word throughout uh, a passage, <clears throat> throughout a story, to, to really emphasize that word um, or the meaning behind 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 much of the passage. And that's very much the case here in, in uh, Samuel chapter 15. And the word that is, is repeated a lot um, is, and the root word, I think the root word is word, is actually word. So the word of the Lord. And similar words are repeated to, to word like listen or heed or Hearken is in the old test in, in sorry in the old English language. Now some of it has been lost in translation from from Hebrew into into modern English. Um, but the theme throughout this passage is heeding, listening to the word of the Lord and the sounds. So even when when Saul was making you know saying that he had done everything was asked of him, and Samuel says. Um, I can hear the sound um, of, of, of the flock. It's all about making that point about this, the sound and the word and hearing and listening. And this passage is very much 
all about that how god spoke through samuel a word the word of the lord and and saul where he may have heard it he didn't take heed of it he didn't really listen um and even in in the past in the in the verse where it says in verse um 22 it says has the lord great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the lord better behold to obey is better than to sacrifice i think in the original hebrew it talks about actually saying listen it's better to listen than to sacrifice and when that listen means it's an act of listening so you're not just listening but you're taking heed of what is is said in psalm um, 119 verse 9 says how can a young man um, keep himself pure by taking heed of the word of the lord so it's not just that we hear the word of the lord but we actually take heed and, and we go and and do it just like the the wise man in that jesus talks about the wise man who built his house upon uh, the rock, are like people who, and this, when the storms came, the, the the house stood firm. Are like people who hear the word of God and they put it into practice. So they take heed of the word of God. But obviously, in this passage, Saul does not do that because the Lord is quite specific in in what He wants um, Saul to do quite specific he has to utterly destroy the amalekites including their livestock everything man woman child and nursing infant everything has to be destroyed and we see that saul comes up short in that respect now obviously this is a very difficult passage in in some respects um because the charge has been made that this is is essentially con- condoning um, genocide. So you know it's one thing to imagine you know killing uh, the men um, because they you know they would be a, a threat or whatever because um, they would have been soldiers. But it's another thing to kill the men and the women. And then their children, um, and even the nursing infants, it seems like a very brutal and barbaric um, approach and something that is is not consistent with a God who is is a God of love. And um, I'm not going to pretend that I have all the the answers to, 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 to that. I think the first thing we need to understand, though, is that God is an eternal God. He sees from the beginning to the end. He understands um, the implications of different things. He sees the future and he sees the past. And he knows the reasoning behind um, his command. And his commands are good and his commands are pure. Um, That's, I suppose, in a general sense, you know something we do need to bear in mind we are finite we don't understand fully the reason reason why um if we look at the passage in itself it appears that god is essentially exacting vengeance on behalf if exacting vengeance on the israelites um as a, as a result of of what the amalekites had done to them and we we return to that in a a minute so there is a sense of a a judgment but again you know it's it seems very harsh to say the least that that um the the children and the infants are are also um come under come under that judgment um so it's it's a it's a it's a it's a difficult passage um there there are no two ways about it it is a difficult passage but hopefully we get a, 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 a bit of better understanding by, by the time time we're finished. Um, but suffice to say, um, God had said in general about the Canaanites in the land that they were to be uttered, any Canaanites within the land were to be utterly destroyed. And, and the, the, the principle there was that the, their practices would 
if you like, contaminate the Israelites, and the Israelites would adopt their practices. And the practices of the, of the Canaanites at the time were extremely sinful. And they were passing it on from generation to generation. And it was contagious. And it was like a cancer. Um, and I suppose you know, the, the modern day equivalent is, is like a COVID. It was so infectious. It was passing on, passing on. And it was, it was completely out of control. And essentially, it appears that there was a zero tolerance um, approach was being taken. It had to be completely wiped out. Now, obviously, you know, there's questions. Well, what about what about the, the poor children? And, 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 you know, I can't answer that fully. I won't pretend I can. But I do know uh, that this was a time before Jesus, uh, before people could be really redeemed. And so in a way, it, it may be a way that, that God actually um, saved them from, from lives of sin. And, and they may well be in heaven now. Um, and that Jesus, did, we don't know that Jesus went when he died. He did go down uh, to the depths and he preached the gospel there. So that's, I don't want to dwell too much on that. Just, but just to acknowledge that it is a, it is a difficult passage. And, um, but I do believe that there was a reasoning behind it, that God did have a reasoning behind it. And he is a God of love and he, he loved those children as much as, as he loved anyone else. And, uh, he is a loving and merciful God, but it is a difficult passage and it's something that merits perhaps a, a talk, um, on its own. But if we, if we look at the Amalekites, it's, it's, um, Safe to say that, as they say, there was previous between the Amalekites and the Israelites. There was history uh, between them. And in, uh, specifically, um, there was history when the, the Israelites had come out of, out of um, Egypt and they were in the desert. The first people to attack them were the Amalekites. If you turn me to um Exodus chapter 17 verse 8 Exodus chapter 17 verse 8 this is just after um the Israelites had had received the manna from heaven the bread of heaven when they were where when they were hungry God gave them the bread from heaven and uh, the manna which is is often seen as the word of God or or even Jesus himself as the word of God, as a symbol that God gave them the manna from heaven each day to sustain them. And then he gave them the water from the rock, the rock at Horeb, when Moses, they were thirsty, and Moses hit the, the rock with, with his rod, and, and water came out, and, and that's often seen as a symbol of the Holy Spirit. So God had, had been providing for them. They had, if you like, they'd been revived, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, come the Amalekites. So if we read from verse 8 here in chapter 17. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel and Rehithdem. And Moses said to Joshua, choose us some men and go out fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hand became heavy. And so they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name, the Lord is my banner. The Lord is my banner. And the, the other name for that is Jehovah Nisi. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is my banner. For he said, because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. 
in Deuteronomy chapter 25, so no need to turn with me, but in Deuteronomy 20, chapter 25, we get a bit more context for that um, battle between Amalek, the Amalekites and the Israelites. Remember, this was the first battle that the Israelites had when they had come out of Egypt. They weren't a warfaring nation as such, uh, but God, uh, through his sovereign power, had, had aided them uh, to defeat the Amalekites. And in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 17, it says, Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt, how he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks, all the stragglers at your rear, when you were tired and weary, and he did not fear God. Therefore it shall be, when the Lord God has given you rest from all your enemies all around, in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess as an inheritance, that you will blot out the remembrance of Amalek on, from under heaven. You shall not forget. So here Saul was being charged with implementing the command that God had given the Israelites before they had entered the land of Israel, the promised land. He said, God had said, when you enter the promised land, you are to destroy the Amalekites. And he said, do not forget. Do not forget what they did to you. When you came out of Egypt, when you were tired and weary, they went after um, the stragglers at the rear. Those, at the, you know, taking up the end, um, the easiest to get, they went from behind and they, they tried to pick them off. And God says, don't forget them. And how they contrast with the other tribe that were mentioned in the passage, the Kenites, who actually helped the Israelites. In fact, um, Moses married uh, the, the daughter of Jethro, and Jethro, they were part of that sort of Kenite uh, branch. And they actually, in many ways, they were, they, they traveled in, in parts with the Israelites, and they camped in Israel, in different parts of Israel. So they were kind of sort of distant cousins, if you like, and they were favorably disposed to the Israelites and they helped them in their time of need. And this contrasts very much with the Amalekites who actually went out of the way. Apparently, some commentators say that they actually traveled a significant distance to go and, and make an ambush um, on the Israelites for no apparent reason other than they just didn't, they didn't like uh, the Israelites. And it's interesting that if you look at the the um, the descendancy of or descendants of Amalek. So Amalek was was the chief, if you like, and from that the the tribe of Am Amalekites emerged. But the, he Am Am Amalek was actually a grandson of Esau, and many of you will know the story of Jacob and Esau, and how Esau forfeited his his birthright uh, to Jacob just over. Um, a stew because he was hungry and he wanted uh, the stew. He gave the birthright to Jacob. And of course, Jacob um, became Israel. And the rest is history that the promise came to Jacob, the promised land. So you can imagine if Amalek was the grandson of Esau and there had been enmity between Jacob and Esau and no doubt there was envy there as well, that that had stirred up in Amalek um, a desire or a hatred of, of Israel. And so God, what God was saying here was, you need to get rid of these guys straight away because they will bring trouble to you for the rest of your life. And, and they said the Lord will be at war with Amalek from generation to generation. And it was a recurring theme in, in, in the Old Testament that Amalek or the Amalekites would be attacking uh, Israel. So God was saying, get rid of them. Absolutely destroy them. And it's interesting, when you go to the book of Esther, hundreds of years later, the book of Esther, many of you will be familiar with the story of Esther, um, when the Israelites who were in, in Persia at the time, the king of Persia, uh, married Queen Esther and God had chosen her at that time to
to rescue the, rescue the Israelites or the Jews from um, a decree that they should be destroyed. And the person who suggested that decree was Haman. You may be familiar with Haman. Well, Haman was an Agite. So he was a descendant of the king Agag of the Amalekites. And so it was in essentially in their DNA, if you like, to hate Israel and to destroy Israel. And you can see in retrospect, the wisdom of God. He was saying, you have to get rid of them, destroy them, because if you don't destroy them, they're going to try and destroy you. There's no compromise here. If you don't destroy them, they will destroy you. And we see it even the spirit, if you like, of, of Amalek is, has continued right down through the generations. How uh, the, the Jews as a people and Israel as a nation uh, have suffered persecution and people have this irrational anti-Semitism. They just want to destroy the Jews. They want to destroy Israel. The people of, they want to destroy the people of God. And like Amalek, the Amalekites, they had no fear of God. We see it right from the, the pogroms, the Spanish Inquisition, the, um, the Holocaust, right up even to today. And we even see today Iran um, wanting to destroy Israel. Iran and, and many of, the, of their proxies, they want to destroy Israel. So it, was this, it is a spirit. It's a spiritual warfare. They want to destroy the nation of Israel. And, it, and there's no... There's no option of compromise at all. Interestingly, I, I just read an, a, an article yesterday um, with someone saying that Iran does not hate Israel. Iran does not hate the Jews. It's just that there's, there's, a, there's a, like a, the ruling um, party. They, they want to destroy Israel. But the common people, the Farsi people, they, they actually you know, are, are very favorably disposed to the Jews. And it's interesting when you see the Israelite, uh, the Israel sort of tactics, uh, how they, with Mossad, they kind of, with the nuclear bomb, to, to stop the nuclear bomb, they don't go and, and kill loads of people to destroy it. They, they do a surgical strike and they, they'll, they'll kill the nuclear scientist or whatever, but they won't kill all the people. And, and in a way, this was like a surgical strike. They were killing the Amalekites, but they're telling the Kenites, we know that you're, you're, you're favorable towards us. Um, we're not going to touch you. But it was, it was, God was, was, was telling the Israelites, was telling Saul to make a pre, it was a, essentially a preemptive strike. I want you to destroy them before they destroy you. And we know, we know what happens. So, so Saul kind of does, but he doesn't, fully do it um he leaves the king and he leaves uh some of the flock uh, and he then he tries to justify it uh to to samuel so again paul says you know these stories are for these stories are for our benefit they're not just historical stories um but they have a meaning a spiritual meaning for, for each of us. And even though we see it, you know, very much even today at a sort of a nation versus nation level, it's still, it's still going to happen, happening. There's also a very much a spiritual uh, significance uh, to all of this. So most commentators, commentators agree that the Am Amalekites, uh, representing represent something uh, 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 an enemy that we must war against as well we as christians as believers james chapter 4 verse 1 it talks about the lusts that war in your members first peter 2:11 it says beloved i beg you as sojourners on this earth, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the spirit. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, 
and the spirit against the flesh. Galatians 5.17. For these things are contrary to one another, so do, you, do not do the things you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Galatians 5.24. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And so, what God, I think, is saying to us here is that we have a war and we have an enemy um, that is warring against us. And that enemy is our flesh. So when we became Christians, um, God renewed us with his spirit. The spirit of God, um, he put into us. The spirit of sonship, sonship, God has put into us. And we can now walk by the spirit. But we still have a battle on our hands. And that battle is primarily against our flesh. Our, our, our sinful nature. The nature that we, if you, if you like, were, were born with, inherited from from Adam, um, are the passions and the lusts uh, that are natural inside us, they will still rise up from time to time and they will continually come back um, and seek to attack us. And particularly, it's interesting that the Amalekites attacked those at the rear and those uh, that were tired and weary. And it's often, you know, as Christians, when when we um, when we're tired or weary, that we can let our guard down and we can give in uh, much more easily uh, to to the lusts of the flesh. And so I believe that's what this passage is really uh, really about, and that's why um, God really wants to make an example of how we must have a zero tolerance for the flesh because it is warring against us it is warring against our spirit it is warring against the life the nature that god has put in us god just like with the israelites god had a great plan and a purpose for the israelites um to bring his kingdom to the world, ultimately through Jesus Christ himself, to bring salvation to the world through Jesus. God has a great plan and a purpose for each of our lives. But we have an enemy and the enemy, well, the enemy obviously is the devil, but the, the devil uses temptation to rise up uh, our, our fleshly passions and our, our fleshly lusts. So there are times, there are times when we should co compromise. There are times when we should compromise. There's no doubt about it. In life, um, when we go through life, there are uh, different issues that will um, come up. It may be with our, with our family, with our kids. Uh, we might have to, you know, compromise on certain things, you know, rather than exasperate them. You may be in work. You may be... Uh, myself i find myself negotiating in, in contracts and there's time you have to go okay i'm willing to give this if you give that and you come to a compromise you come to an agreement and it's mutually beneficial for everyone it's not perfect but it's it's mutually beneficial but there are other times when you should not compromise under any condition and we often see you know these um with with terrorist organizations there's talk about peace talks and all that sort of stuff and and there'll be two sides of the house one side will say oh yeah they should they should really compromise you know give them something another side will say absolutely no way in no way negotiate with these terrorists uh, they will just they will just use this situation for their for their own benefit and it basically depends doesn't it on the on the motivation really of the terrorists if the terrorists really want to just destroy you uh well there's no way that you should be negotiating 
with terrorists. If there's a genuine um, desire to bring peace, well, that's that's a different different matter. But in the case of of the, of the flesh, um, God is saying you cannot compromise. There is no compromise. Do not give an inch. Do not give an inch. So that's all well and, and good, you know, that we are to we are not to compromise in any way. But the reality is that temptation by its very nature is something that is very strong. By its very nature. And even though we have the spirit of God living inside us, we still have this, uh, this wrestling between some, we, we want to do what God wants, but sometimes we find we're not doing what God wants. And it is the flesh coming up. We have the spirit of God, but the flesh is still there and the flesh can be, can be strong. So how do we, how do we overcome the flesh? First and foremost, we are not to compromise. We are not to compromise with temptation. Jesus is, is quite clear. He's, he talks in, in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. He talks about, you say that you, you should not commit adultery. But anyone, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has committed adultery in his heart and he goes on to say it is better more profitable for you to pluck your eye out and be without a member of your of your body than for uh, your soul uh, to be destroyed in hell or if you're if you're if your hand sins it's better to cut off your hand and for a member of your body uh, to be destroyed, then for your whole soul uh, to be destroyed in, in, in hell. And so Jesus takes a very uncompromising view of how we deal with temptation. And this is, this is how God, if you like, illustrates through, through the Amalekites. There's no messing here. Absolutely no messing. Um, we see at the, at the end of, of the passage, uh, the, the, the king is brought to Samuel and, and he makes, he makes a, a very sort of, in many ways, it seems like a reasonable request. He says, you know, he says, surely the bitterness of, of death is past. You know, okay, you know, let's let bygones be bygones. I know, I know there's history here, but, you know, okay, can we just let's not be ott about this you know let's just have peace for peace sake and often with temptation you will find that rational thought process going in your mind oh yeah you know i'm being a bit i'm being a bit extreme here listen you know you know nobody's perfect at the end of the day nobody's perfect all right and uh, and it is that thought process uh, that can be can be very dangerous. Where Jesus says, you know, pluck out the eye, cut off the hand. Now, obviously, he's not talking necessarily literally, <laughs> or there'd be a lot of a lot of blind people in 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 <laughs> around the world. But but the point is very clear. You have to take uncompromising measures with something. That is warring against you something that has does not have your interests in heart it wants to destroy the purposes of god in your life in romans chapter 13 verse 14 <clears throat> 
answer is to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. I think we, we are guilty in many ways of making that provision for the flesh. We kind of go, okay, well, I know I've been saved and I'm saved by God's grace and I'm a sinner. You know, I'm not perfect. So, you know, I have an allowance here of sin that I can, you know, I can still have. God says, make no provision. Paul says, make no provision uh, for, for the, the sins of the, for fle- for the flesh and the sins of the lust. Because it's dangerous. It is dangerous. And it is powerful. It says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So how do we make no provision? And how do we put on the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm going to give you seven, I think it's about seven practical tips. Okay. Uh, seven practical tips uh, um, use. The first practical tip. I'm sorry, just going back to, to that um, uh, the plea, the, the, the peace plea from, from, from King Agag. What was Samuel's response? But he took prisoners. He was taking no prisoners. He absolutely destroyed King Agag. And that is the way we should be with temptation. Absolutely no compromise. But here, here I, I'm just going to give you seven sort of practical tips. The first is to read and heed the word of God. So Saul heard the word of God, but he did not heed the word of God. As I said, in Psalm 119, verse 9, how can a young man keep his way clean? By taking heed of the word of God. So we must he- hear it, must read it, but we also must take heed of it. Also in Psalm 119, it says, Your word I have hidden in my heart. I've hidden it in my heart that I might not sin against you. Step. The second step is, even though sometimes we read the word of God and we see it, we can find it really difficult to keep it. In fact, Paul says that the law actually can make you sin because you see things in the law. Oh, I can't do that. And that gives you the desire actually to do it in the first place. Just like when you tell your child, no, I don't want you to, to do that. I don't want you to open that drawer. And there's that inbuilt, and there are in many situations where we cannot help ourselves with sin, with in particular with temptation. We are to humble ourselves. I think it says it in Peter: humble ourselves before God. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. If we come to God and say, listen, Lord, I want to do it. I can't do it myself. I can't do it myself. If we humble our, when we read God's word and go, yes, Lord, I want to do that, but I know I can't do it. That forces us to come on our knees to Jesus, to, to, to God the Father, through Jesus in prayer and say, I can't do this. And the, the Bible says, God opposes the proud, but he will give grace to the humble. He will give you the grace. And we shouldn't sink into this fatalism where you go, I failed before, I'm going to fail again. Listen, I'm no good. I'm not going to, you know, that's just part of my life. I, 
I'm a sinner. I'm going to keep doing this sin. That's just life. We should by faith come to God. By faith, not fatalism. By faith come to God and say, Lord, I, I can't do but by the power of Jesus, by the power of when Joshua and um, and the Israelites fought the Amalekites afterwards and they defeated them, there was a, an altar was built by Moses and it said, the Lord is my banner. We are not able to do it, but the Lord is our banner. God will enable us. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Through Christ who strengthens me. The strength of Israel is your strength. The strength of Israel is your strength. God would not have asked um, Saul to destroy the Amalekites if he wasn't going to give him. He knew it was going to happen because God had said, decreed it was going to happen. God can destroy the, the, the sin in your life, the stronghold in your life by his power, not by your power. All he asks us is to humble ourselves and come before our knees and saying, God, I need your help. God, I need your help. And there's two other ways, aside from praying, there's two other ways we can humble ourselves. One is to confess our sins. If there is a sin, we I know I'm, I've messed up. I'm messed up with that. I don't want to do it again. Confess it. Confess it to God, but also to somebody that you know who you can trust. Confess it. And it can often break the power of that sin. Confess it to someone. It's a humbling experience to say, I've messed up, but God will honor it and he will give you grace. And also ask for prayer. We think of how Moses held up his hands while Joshua fought the battle. Moses was, was, was praying, in, if you like, metaphorically was praying for Joshua. And Moses himself was being held up by Aaron and Hur. We need the support of each other to pray for each other and ask for prayer, to be humble enough to ask for prayer. If we're struggling with this. We want to overcome it. We want to defeat it. We want victory. God will give us grace, but he also wants us to cooperate. He wants us to cooperate. And he wants us to have a zero tolerance approach to temptation and that means we need to make preemptive strikes ourselves just like the israelites were making a preemptive strike on the amalekites we need to make preemptive strikes is there something you know that you are an area you know you're weak and maybe that's a, an area of temptation that you fall into when you're tired you're weary you're discouraged Whatever it is, you know, that's where I go. That's the place I go when I'm tired, I'm discouraged, I'm feeling down. That's where I go. And it's not to God. It's to somewhere else, something else. What is God saying to you? What is that area? What are you doing preemptively about that area? For example, I got, a, I got rid of Netflix from our house. I got, absolutely, I got rid of it. Just, you know, not, 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 you know, I'm not saying there's anything particularly wrong with Netflix, but I know for myself, I'm not strong enough. Some of the stuff on, on Netflix, I'm just not strong enough for it. I got rid of it. Now, there was a lot of good stuff, you know, documentaries and stuff that was gone, goes with it. Just like, you know, the, the, um, the, the livestock of the Amalekites, you know, there was good stuff, everything. Just had to go, no questions asked, had to go. And that was a preemptive strike for me because I know if I don't, if it's not there, you know, it, it's not a temptation. And you will know, you will have, you, there are things you know that are a temptation for you and you can make preemptive strikes if you are serious that you really want to get rid of them. God will give us the power, the grace, but he asks us to cooperate, not to compromise, but to cooperate with the power that is working within us. Resist the devil and he will 
flee. That is, that is, that is a promise. That's number six. Resist the devil and he will flee. And lastly, be vigilant and be sober. Be vigilant, be sober. For your enemy, the devil, goes around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he can devour. And it doesn't matter that we're not out in the world, so to speak, in, in lockdown. The devil will find loads of ways um, to to devour you so we need to be sober we need to be vigilant always on our god on our guard even in areas that we think <clears throat> we think oh i'm strong in this area i conquer that one that's sorted uh, one commentator oswald chambers he says where we think we are strongest is our double weakness because we think we're we're, we're, we're watertight in that don't believe it for a minute be strong be vigilant and be sober in every area of our lives and i think it's an aspect that we we again certainly in the in the western in the western world we've probably um gone lax on is being sober and being vigilant because it's not you know it's not kind of an exciting thing to do um but if when we read god's word we see that there is a war there is a battle it is the flesh against the spirit and the two cannot um coexist so just to conclude god doesn't want us to compromise he wants us to, to he read heed his word and cooperate cooperate with him to lead us into victory god wants to lead us into victory God is not a killjoy by any stretch of the imagination. He wants us to lead us into the promised land of joy, peace, self-control. Against such things there is no law. That's, that's where God wants to lead us. But we need to, we need to have an uncompromising, no prisoner um, taken approach uh, to, to temptation. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Father, we just thank you uh, for uh, your word, Lord. Thank you for the illustration that you've given us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to be vigilant. Help us to be sober. Um, to realize, Lord, that we are in a battle, Lord. A battle that belongs to you and you alone, Lord. It belongs to you, Lord. Lord, we pray for grace uh we pray for honesty um amongst ourselves as a body lord and um not for condemnation lord uh but for honesty lord and we pray for faith believing lord that you uh will win our battle lord when we cooperate with you thank you for your word lord in jesus name amen